0: Thank you for tuning in today to our Wednesday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we will be continuing our study in the book of 1 Samuel, so let's join Pastor Dave now. You try, will be over. Let's
1: go to 1 Samuel 15. This is a great chapter, it's one of my favorite chapters here in uh, in Samuel, mostly because uh it's got a great lesson here that partial obedience is not obedience. Just so you know, partial obedience is not obedience. And we get to see that here with, uh, with Saul dealing with Samuel. And so here in chapter 15 it says this, and Samuel also said to Saul, "The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people." Now um, I find this interesting. I don't really have an answer for this. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll get a Bible in your hand so you can follow us along in 1 Samuel 15. Um, Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. God had originally sent Samuel to anoint Saul. And by saying, God has sent me to anoint you, this is one of the reasons why we met when we did back in uh, chapter uh, 10, uh, or back in chapter 9, I should say. Um, we look at that and we kind of go, this is the reason Saul was, was sent to him. This is why they met, so he could anoint him and then introduce him and have this coronation that this is going to be your king. And then it says, um, says here, now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Several years has passed since his original successful uh, military campaign uh, against the Ammonites. Um, Since then, we see right here in verses 47 on, it says, And Saul established sovereignty over Israel, fought against all his enemies on every side, against Moab, Ammon, Edom, Zobah, Philistines, wherever he turned, he harassed them. And he gathered an army and attacked the Amalekites and delivered Israel from the hands of those who plundered Israel. Them And so, it shows his military conquests here. And so, many years have gone by since that time. However, he's giving another test here. You might recall a few weeks ago when we were in chapter 13, that he didn't heed the voice of the Lord through Samuel. You're to wait for me here at Gilgal, and you're going to wait until I come here. I will offer sacrifice for you. And he couldn't wait. He just couldn't wait. And so because of that, he acted on his own. He was very, very presumptuous. And so the Lord, through Samuel, said, what you've done is a very, very foolish thing, and now the kingdom is going to be taken from you, he tells him. He said, I would have established your kingdom, but now I give it to another, I should say, is what it says. And so it's almost like now we're going to give you another chance. We're going to give you another chance to show that you've learned from your past mistakes, We're going to give you another chance to be able to see if you could truly listen to specific instructions. And so he tells them here, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. He says that because this is where you failed before. You didn't really listen. So now I'm telling you, you really need to listen here. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Amalek is uh, Esau's uh, grandson. Uh, The tribe of Amalek consists of his descendants of Esau. The Amalekites had a lengthy history with the Jews, and not a good one. They attempted to stop the Israelites when they marched through their territory. Um, They attacked them at Rephidim, Exodus chapter 17. Uh, and afterwards, they attack the Israelites in Horma, Numbers chapter 14. We read of them subsequently in league against Israel with the Moabites, Judges chapter 3, verse 13. And also in league with the Midianites in Judges 6, verse 3. And so the Amalekites have been very, very hostile to the Jews since they've been coming into the land, the promised land. In Deuteronomy 25, verse 17, Moses tells the people this. He says, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way, attacked your rear ranks, all the stragglers at your rear, and when you were tired and weary, and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven, you shall not forget. And so Moses tells him there's going to come a time. You're going to have peace on all sides. And when you do, I'm going to send you out, and you're going to blot out Amalek because of how much he has harassed my people. And so Saul should look at this and go, wow, what a great honor to to be reminded of this prophecy that was like four or five hundred years earlier, and now I get to fulfill the word of the Lord. How great it would be if he was thinking this way. If he was thinking this way. I want you to go to Exodus chapter 17. This is a a battle. Israel has defeated, defeated Amalek before. And so in chapter 17 here, we get a little glimpse of kind of how God... Wins battles. Verse 8 of chapter 17 of Exodus, it says, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men. Go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand. Then Israel prevailed, and when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands become heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar called the name The Lord is My Banner, for he says, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so even back then, he reminds him again in Deuteronomy that there's going to come a time when you're going to blot out the name of Amalek once and for all. Now, I look at this and I said, what a great way, what a great illustration of being able to have victory in the Lord. To remember a few things. For one, the first thing you need to remember when you are in the Lord's army and as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a soldier of Christ, that the battle belongs to who? The Lord. And I see what Moses is doing here by lifting up his hands and others also helping to lift up his hands by doing it. They're lifting up their hands. It speaks of surrender. It speaks of submission to the word of God, to the to God himself. I surrender, I submit for whatever you have for me. That is where victory takes place. In Psalm 28, verse one and two, it says to you, will I cry, O Lord, my rock. Do not be silent to me, lest if you are silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you, when I lift up my hand towards your holy sanctuary. In Proverbs twenty-one thirty-one, it says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is from who? The Lord, it says. David, as we're going to get to here in a few weeks, um, in chapter 17, when he goes out to fight Goliath, He's in front of him, in front of the whole assembly, and he says, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give it into my hands. If you want to have victory in your life, surrender to the person of Jesus Christ. Do what it is that he says to do. Let God always determine the outcome, and watch that outcome unravel to the point where he is going to give you an amazing victory. And he will, so long as you're submitted to his plan and doing it his way. You will win that battle. You'll win that battle. And so we see this with Amalek. And so so Samuel is telling Saul, now, listen up. You get an incredible privilege here. You're going to be able to make God's name great because this is a prophecy that was spoken 400 some years earlier. And I know you know this. And you're the one that gets to carry this out. So take heed, listen carefully. Do exactly what God tells you to do. And the instructions aren't lengthy. They're pretty short. Look what he says. Now go and attack Amalek. Utterly destroy all that they have. What about their goats and sheep? And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, Ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Well, what about destroy all? Well, what about what part of all don't you understand? It's one verse. These instructions is one verse. He doesn't have to write it down. It's pretty easy to memorize. I am to destroy all. Man, woman, infant, nursing child. Ox, sheep, camel, and donkey. Sounds pretty severe. Because it is very severe. Now let me ask you a question. Why do you think that God would have them do this? Because it sounds pretty gnarly. The fact that you have to, I have to kill a nursing mom? I have to kill a baby? Why? It's a great question. I do want us to know one thing here before I get into my thought that possibly why God is doing this. Go to Psalm 19. This came to my mind and I was coming up. I was asking John, John, where's that verse (laughs) that? And it's here in, in Psalm 19. Look what it says in verse 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. You know what that word means? It means flawless, by the way. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. The statutes of the Lord are right. Rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are what? True. True. And righteous altogether. We might not understand them, but we're told right here that they're true and that they're righteous. That God might have a reason and He's not necessarily disclosing to us His reason, but they're true and they're righteous. And this is a judgment that's coming upon the Amalekites. Now, I have a suspicion that quite possibly it might fall under this. I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus chapter 18, it's a great chapter to read of the reason why these people are being displaced for the Israelites is because their sin is now full to capacity. There is no more room for them to sin. It's reached its height where judgment needs to take place. And so here in Leviticus 18, we're told this. Says here in verse, let's go with 20. He says, Moreover, he's speaking to the Jews, you shall not lie carnally with your neighbor's wife to defile yourself with her. You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is abomination. So it's speaking of homosexuality there. Nor shall you mate with an animal to defile yourself with it, nor nor shall any woman stand before an animal to mate with it. It is perversion. Now, why would he tell us not to do something unless those things were going on? And he goes on. Do not defile yourselves with any of these things, for by all these, the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. You know what that tells me? It tells me that they were doing those things. He just tells us right there. Uh, for all the nations are defiled, which I'm casting out before you. They've done all those things. He says, you're not to do what they have done. Now, if they have been having sex with animals, and and and, and men with men, and women with women, and then women with animals, and All that vulgar and perversion and things like that. If that was going on, do you think that maybe, just maybe, they have some disease? It has now spread over hundreds of years that they've been doing this in the land, that it has now spread to the point where God says, they're all infected now. They're all infected. The nursing mom, the baby, they're all infected. And now he's saying, judgment has come. I don't want you to take any of it. Is that the reason? Maybe, just maybe. And don't bring their animals back either. Because they have disease. And you don't want them, uh, you know, uh, coming in with your livestock and then giving them that disease as well. Everything has to be destroyed. And God doesn't always have to give us the reasons why. But it's interesting that he lays this before us in Leviticus before they go into the promised land. And he's telling them, these are the people you're going to replace, that their sin is just so full and overflowing that it's time, that I'm using you as judgment against them. I'm going to use you. And he tells them, he says, for the land is defiled. Therefore, I visit the punishment of its iniquity upon it, and the land vomits out its inhabitants. They are defiled and they've defiled the land because of what they've done. So he tells them, you're to kill everybody and everything and don't bring anything back. So, verse 4, Saul gathers the people together, numbered them in in, uh, Telam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. He has certainly over the years gathered an army now. Um, Whereas before he had 3,000 and then many of them left, he only had 600. And then Jonathan, his armor bearer, goes after the Philistines and God does a great victory there. And then everybody crawls out of the rocks and the, the hillsides to join him in this great defeat. And now from that time on, here in chapter 15, he has established an army through the many military campaigns that he has waged. And the way that he has been taken, anytime he sees a man of valor or a valiant man or a courageous man, he takes him into his army. And now he has 200,000 foot soldiers, 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, go depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. So it kind of sounds like he sent in spies to, uh, to talk to the Kenites. And obviously you could probably see some difference between an Amalekite and a Kenite. And, uh, and so he went in there and he basically said, Hey, let all the Kenites know. We're going to come in here. We're going to take uh, uh, care of the, the Amalekites once and for all. If you're here, we're going to kill you. But we're giving you an opportunity to leave because you've always been kind to us. And so... Um, it's hard to find in God's word exactly how um, they've shown kindness to the children of Israel. Um, we do know that Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, was a Kenite, and he's one that offered great advice to Moses in the way of a delegation there in chapter 18 of Exodus. Uh, we also know that this could be speaking of the episode in Judges with Sisera, the commander of the army of Jabin, king of Canaan, had oppressed Israel for over 20 years, and uh, Deborah, a judge in Israel, gave the order to Barak, and, uh, and 10,000 of his men went to battle with Sisera and routed them. Sisera then escaped, hid in the tent of a woman named Jael, Heber's wife, who was a Canite, and she drove a tent stake through his head while he slept. And it could be, you know, that story also is remembered here. But there's probably other things that the Canaanites have done in order to, to help Israel, and, and it's just not mentioned in God's word. And so in verse seven, it says, and Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Who makes uh, the assessment of what is despised and worthless? Apparently, Saul did. And yet, he wasn't called to make that assessment. He was to kill everything. And what are you bringing the king back for? You're to kill everything and everybody. Now... Much like it is today, your vanquished foe that you could parade in front of your peers and stuff like that makes you look what? Prideful. Makes you look really good. Here's that king that has been, you know, causing us great fear over years and here I have vanquished him and he's right before us right now. and It's a pride thing is what it is. And then he brings back What he thinks is the best of the sheep and the goats and things like that. He's the one that's making this assessment. So did Saul obey the Lord? No. Partial obedience is never obedience. He was to destroy everyone. He was to destroy all the livestock. But to the people, as he comes back with all the spoil, and as he comes back with his armies intact, and they're yelling victory, victory, that the Amalekites have been destroyed. Well, we, we're going to find out also that it wasn't just Agag that was left. We'll see that here in a moment. Verse 10, now the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as king. Wow, that's a heavy word, regret. Did God make a mistake? Does he now wish he'd never done that before? We'll look at that here in a moment as well. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to beat Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Again, kind of shows you what's going on here. He sets up a monument for himself. You can see the pride welling up inside of him, that his eyes are on himself. He wants to look impressive to the people. He wants to look impressive all around. And so he makes a monument for himself, and he's gone on around, passed by, gone down to Gilgal. So he's doing this little circuit thing, building a monument. So I look at all these great things that I've done. And, you know, the Amalekites have been destroyed. I even brought the king back with me, and we got all this spoil. And he's just going around, and it's all about him. It's all about him. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Liar face. Wow. But I think he really believes he did. That's the sad part. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel says, really? What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? And the loan of the oxen, which I hear. And Saul said, well, they have brought them from the Amalekites. Who's they? He's beginning to remember or understand. Oh, wait, I was supposed to them. Well, they they're the ones that brought them back. They have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. Really, I've always wondered this about Saul. He says this time and time again. You know, your God. Why isn't he your God, Saul? Why isn't he your God? You say this time and time again. You you refer to him as Samuel's God, your God. I brought him back to sacrifice your God. That's the problem, Saul. You have him personally submitted yourself to God, where he now is your God.
0: Well, that's all we have time for today on this Wednesday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in 1 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell gas station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.